What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Welcome back, my friends. You are listening to The Know, where it is not about knowing everything. It is about coming to know ourselves. I'm your hostess, Nikki Spo, and I'm so grateful that you are joining me today because I have a really exciting guest that I'll be chatting with. But before I introduce her, I want to remind you to hit the subscribe button wherever you're tuning in from so you never miss an episode. All right, so today's guest is Sunny Abada. She is the host of the podcast, We Gotta Talk, and she's an Emmy-nominated and AP award-winning journalist. Sunny is a true connoisseur of the art of staying untriggered in our media-dense world, where she upholds her simple yet powerful mantra, real talk, big topics. This unwavering philosophy is the heartbeat of her dedication to fostering candid, illuminating, and captivating dialogues on her podcast, We Gotta Talk. In Sunny's world, knowledge isn't just power. It's a treasure that should be within everyone's reach. She possesses the unique talent of transforming intricate subjects into delightful bite-sized conversations and presenting them to the everyday woman. But there's a lot more to Sunny than what initially meets the eye. She's not your run-of-the-mill guest. She is a dynamic individual who is obsessed with face masks, beauty tricks, embraces the role of mother of three. She has a keen interest in wellness and is always attuned to the internet's potential for triggering discussions. She has an uncanny knack for stirring up the internet's thinking pot. And she's a true Libra, calling herself the Libraist of Libra. I think I'm the airiest of Aries. And her remarkable ability is to see both sides of any issues. And this makes her an ideal guest, in my opinion, to host in today's world of extremes. Sunny is passionate about bridging gaps, promoting media literacy, and discussing everything from motherhood to beauty trends, and she is ready to turn expert topics into approachable digests that will keep everyone informed. So today we're gonna to talk about a few topics that are potentially full of heat, like whew, the Second Amendment, how to talk to your kids about school shootings, and if gun control can prevent them, whether or not you can cheat-proof your marriage, getting outside of your echo chamber, and talking with instead of about your philosophical opposites who you disagree with, the debate of the stay-at-home versus working mom, and even beauty standards. You guys, obviously we have so much to cover today, so let's get going. Sunny Abada, welcome to The Know, where it's not about knowing everything. It's about coming to know ourselves. And I've got to say, I'm super impressed with you and how you are able to navigate a wide range of topics from an objective standpoint, remaining untriggered and empathetic. Are you really untriggered? For most of the time. I'm front-facing <laughs> untriggered. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. Your show is amazing too. And I love what you're doing with your platform. I think a lot of good can come from knowing ourselves. So cheers to your mission as well. Thank you. Okay. So can you start off, Sunny, by telling us a little bit about yourself? What are you focusing on with your platform and how are you reaching people? 
So I always say We Gotta Talk is an issues-based show. My background is in news, and I come from um, like a style of news where I was doing a lot of one-on-one interviewing. We were responsible for, uh, gosh, anywhere from like five to seven interviews daily on topics ranging from medicine to business to world affairs to politics. And um, I really developed a knack for taking big topics and turning them into, like what you said, digestible, easy to understand conversations. Because I think the bottom line is a lot of us are interested in being active citizens and understanding what's happening in the world, but we don't have time to read the entire Wall Street Journal or the entire New York Times. So the skill set really is in taking some of these big topics, finding the experts who can help us digest them, presenting that information on a platter and then saying, hey, here you go. I am a serious person by nature. I'm kind of bookish and nerdy and I'm into like a deep dive. I just cannot have a casual conversation. But on the flip side, on the on the show, we cover a lot of really fun and superficial things to kind of like deflate the tension of of constantly talking about world events. So I also talk a lot about like beauty treatments or skincare. I mean, things that are fun and that we need to like just go and like enjoy life. Our life a little bit, right? Yes. It can't all be heavy all the time. No, I, you know, I feel really similarly because I feel like I cover a lot of heavy topics on my show too, but I'm also like a super girls girl. Like I love being with my girlfriends. I love talking about girly things and shopping and beauty and all that stuff. So I love that we're able to have this conversation because we're going to cover like a bunch of these different topics, right? Because even the topic of beauty can be really divisive. Yeah. It sure can. And, and how we keep ourselves up or what we choose to do or not do with procedures, how much we choose to share about what we do, like raising girls in this crazy image obsessed world. Like there's so much like deep side to it too. But, you know, there's the fun, lighthearted, like what's your favorite face cream too. So we said earlier, just like I get really overwhelmed. Like there's so much news out there, right? Like, and then um, it's like, you, you, you're right. Like I want to be an informed citizen. I want to be an active participant in my community and just life. And it can be just so overwhelming. I'm like, there's so much information out there. You don't know who to trust half the time. Yeah, it's really interesting how our world um, has made information more accessible than ever. And it's also become more difficult than ever to digest and process. And that's due in large part, of course, to social media and yeah. and just digital technology in general. Like I came up in the industry. I, I started reporting at 21 years old. I've been working in TV since I was 19, part-time in college. And I was very like, in, on the cusp of like technology changing the industry. So I came in when, I, I mean, we had a website, but like there was no web copy of stories. It was still tape, tape edits. And to see the transformation on my industry in particular on news, um, it's been really impressive because it has made information that much more accessible. And I love that people can pick up their phones and get the latest local news. They can get the latest national, international news. But it also bombards the human brain, which I think is incapable of processing that much with so much information that now we're at a point where we really have to be good media consumers, right? And understand how to take in the information that's relevant to us and just sort of shut out the rest. And it's an art form that I think I'm personally always perfecting and is is never, it's never perfect. And I know so many other people are too. And I have the knowledge of how a news industry works. I can't imagine what it must feel like to have always been on the consumer side and not understand you know, the nuance and, and motivation behind some of the news industry and, and believing everything at face value all the time. It's just a lot. It's going to look different for everyone. That's for sure. Yeah. You mentioned your mom of three. I'm a mom of three. And then you also mentioned raising girls in today's world. We're going to cover some of the heavy hitting topics first, and then we're going to lighten it up. Being a mom of three, you mentioned raising girls in today's world. Um, what sex children do you have? Yeah. So I have a son who's 10. He'll be 11 soon. 
I have my first daughter who's nine and my second daughter who is six, six and a half. So uh, yeah, our little surprise baby at the end there. <laughs> I have two boys and one girl. So my two okay. boys are five and three and then a baby girl who is 13 oh, months old. you have a little baby. Well, I'm jealous, Nikki. I miss those days. <laughs> it is a very delicious stage. You know, like I was raising... I have been raising boys and that's one thing, but now I have the, a little baby and you're, you're at the, your, your girls are older and they're probably processing a lot of this information and that's got to be a different ball game. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, my daughters are like on their iPads and they're not on social media, obviously, but on their iPads to an extent where they're starting to see like YouTube shorts every once in a while, something they'll get exposed to like something and you do start inevitably to reach a point where the world just enters the household. Like for a while, yeah. it's a bubble and you can protect. And um, they start to see things on social media or they'll start to hear things from their friends. And um, I have always taken the philosophy of like radical honesty and truth first when it comes to like body things, especially with my girls. Whenever a question comes up and it can be about, I mean, like anything from like, why is she so much taller or or shorter than that? Why are people with different body sizes and types? Or when do I get boobs? Or what's a period? They heard about periods. So we know all about yeah. periods now. I mean, they've known about this since they were probably four and came in and saw me putting pads and tampons in my closet. And they're like, what's that for? And I was like, well, there's this thing you're going to get one day. It's called your period. I have at an age appropriate level always told them what it is they're seeing, whether it's something in the house or on social media and kind of put it at an age appropriate level because the last thing I want is for them to feel shame about something with yeah, their bodies or right. go somewhere else to get their questions answered. So that's been like a good tactic for us is like make it age appropriate, but make it honest. Like you don't want to be the, the girl who's out there that doesn't know what a period is when she gets her period. It's wow. like, no, we, we're, we're beyond that. And that happened in the 80s and 90s when I was growing totally. up. Like girls got their periods and had no idea. They're like, what is this? Why am I bleeding? And then the PE teacher steps in like, no, thanks. We're going to have all of that talked about so that my daughter is not in that position, which makes her feel uh, uncomfortable in a way she doesn't need to be. Yeah, definitely. I think I got a book. I got a book. And that was the conversation. Like, oh, my here God. you go. Here's, here's this book when you're in middle school that yeah. my parents gave me and they're like, yeah, okay. Uh, all yeah. right. <laughs> good luck. Have fun. I mean, and the books are like, Good luck. I was like, okay. The reason I think girls grow up to feel self-conscious and shy is that they feel like their bodies are doing things they're not supposed to do. Or the worst is, you know, when you have like a, a boyfriend or partner one day who's like icked out by having to go to the store and buy you tampons. Like my son's not going to be that guy either. I'm like, listen, this is all whatever conversations you overhear me having with your sisters, just know that if you're married someday or with a girl, then these are things you need to know about too. So like, don't be that guy that's grossed out and icked out by girl things. <sighs> okay. So we are going to cover some potentially triggering topics from gun control to monogamy to how to talk with rather than about your phil philosophical opposites. But before we get into that, let's chat about how you are able to remain untriggered. I mean, I think like what we were saying before about news consumption, it's something that's never perfected. It's an ongoing practice. Um, for me, what works to remain calm and continue to look at people with opposing opinions as humans rather than objects of my anger or ire. Um, deep breathing, remembering the human behind the story. There are humans behind beliefs. And what works for me to remain untriggered is to remember that 
to deep breathe, to seek out friends that have different beliefs than me. I'm a weirdo like that. I don't, I don't want to be surrounded by people who are who are t- like me. I want to be friends with people who are from different places, who believe different things. And I, it's just becomes an interesting conversation because then we can sort of explain to each other why we feel how we feel. And the underlying friendship is still there. You get to know the people behind the beliefs. And like I always say, doesn't mean it's going to change your opinion or change your impulse. But what it does is it makes you less reactionary in the moment to those mm. things that are inevitably going to bother you down the line. So what I'm hearing a lot, like just in summary of that, is like the word tolerance, right? Like a lot of it is having tolerance. And I mentioned to you, you know, before we got started recording that I I literally had a friend, a a good friend of mine, like send me a message and say, you know, I don't agree with your political stance. And so I can't be your friend anymore. And this is a friend that I've had for a very, very long time. And just listening to you say, like, you don't want to be friends with people who are just like you. And you want to be able to have compassionate conversations with people. Like, I remember feeling like there was just no room to even have a conversation. Hearing you say that just, it made me a little bit emotional because I'm like, man, I wish there was space to have an open conversation with people, particularly this one person in this one instance that I care about that doesn't end in ending a friendship, right? You know? And just finding a way to communicate with people in a way that isn't completely black or white. Yeah. And I'm an idealist in that way. And and I'm sorry you went through that with your friend. And I think that's a good example of you can have this idealist mindset or this goal of for yourself remaining untriggered and for yourself seeking knowledge, but not everybody else is going to do that. I certainly have had friendships challenged and I've come out in in strong support of beliefs that I have um, either on social media or in personal conversations. And I have also borne the brunt of like my belief system, whatever it may be. And um, it's unfortunate. And I think that like, while that desire to seek information, to seek perspective will always be at the heart of we got to talk and what I do, it doesn't mean that I'm a human lacking beliefs or that there is a right or wrong. I just think that there's a lot of like demand for tolerance of the other side when there isn't really like it's borderline like hypocritical, right? Like we demand that you tolerate our people, but we're not going to tolerate your people. I think a lot of it is having to like to look within, like really, really, really look within and finding like your your own personal North Star, what you feel is right, you know? And then again, I keep coming back to this idea of like tolerance and empathy and compassion, right? And being able to have those tough conversations with people you care about um, with a mindset of empathy and compassion that we all have drastically different backgrounds and upbringings and and points of views and being able to tolerate one another especially when yeah. when you already have an established relationship with people that you that you care about you know so i also want to talk about the beauty of being a mediator right you have to see these issues with curiosity and i think that we forget to get curious right when we're talking to other people and you are a mediator. That's what you you do. And I I'm a growing mediator. You know, I've been mediating <laughs> mediating like things, and I'm like, how do I do this? I'm like, yeah, it's it's so hard. It's really hard. I always say like, um, I'm the person in the family who people will call and they'll be like, did you talk to so and so? And this is the one side. And then two minutes later, the phone will ring. It's the other person. I'm like, all right, guys, well, why don't you try saying this? And why don't we blah blah blah? You know, like I, it's an interesting thing to call yourself, but it is so true for me personally. There's like activators in the world and there's mediators. There are people out there who are sparking change, who are 
you know, the Martin Luther King Juniors of the world or these philosophical thinkers who are there as a lightning rod to challenge us to feel a certain way. And there are people who are the mediators who are kind of the go-betweens, right? Between this new idea that's popped up and like the rest of people who are trying to understand it and like getting a little information from here and getting a little information from there. And I, I think people kind of like naturally fall into those categories. I'm really drawn, it's interesting, to strongly opinionated people. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty. Like how do you handle conversations around, I know you've done this on your show, on the Second Amendment, which a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. How do you handle that topic? I am a mother who worries every day about sending my kids to school, like every other parent out there. And yeah. so to approach this topic requires me to like address that trigger, so to speak. I came up in the media world where I was reporting on this on an uncomfortably frequent basis. And so it activates a lot of things in me as a parent, as like a former journalist that literally make me want to throw up. When I chose to address this topic, which I did earlier this year on my podcast, I had a really interesting conversation with a Second Amendment advocate. His name is Chris Chang. He's um, was on the show Top Shot. He's a really interesting character because he is this gay Asian man from San Francisco who by all like outside guesses, you'd be like, oh, he's got to be like turbo liberal on all issues. Well, he's actually a really strongly opinionated Second Amendment advocate, believes that we should all um, be entitled to arm ourselves with whatever weapons. I came from a family of uh, law abiding gun owners, so I see that side of it, but but assault weapons scare me. And so that was kind of the crux of our conversation. And and I called him ahead of time and I'm like, listen, Chris, this is an important conversation because I'm going to be asking the questions I think of a, a lot of people are asking, which is, but why do we need AR-15s? But why do we but need unlimited capacity? But why do we? So can you go run through this with me in a respectful way and have this conversation that answers from your opinion? And we had a great pre-interview call and I just knew going into it that it would be a really, really engaging episode because he wasn't backing away. And I wasn't there necessarily like devil's advocating the whole time, but I, you know, came back strong and had some really interesting counterpoints and we were able to have a conversation. And I understand, you know, his, the way that I have concerns as a parent, he has concerns as an American citizen and the idea of rights being stripped away and the idea of, you know, should the government begin to take on too much power, what we as individual citizens do to protect ourselves. The end result was just a really interesting, nuanced conversation where we were able to to go back and forth and represent two different points, but get information out there that I know I hadn't heard before because these interviews you hear on local or national news are two minutes. And again, like helping us see these people as people, people we don't agree with, and just coming to an understanding. Did I change any minds? I don't know, but I don't care either because that wasn't the point of it. The point was to get that out there and to show people it is possible to show up respectfully in conversations with people that you disagree with. Definitely. I think you might've been able to change more minds than you might guess by the pure fact that you were able to have a very calm conversation about it. Like just in that. So you're presenting, you're going back and forth as just like respectful individuals. Like people can make decisions of their own from a calm state, not an an amped up state where they're they're feeling like very fired up and and having anxiety about one one point of view versus the other. Yeah, it really shows the other person as as a human. And ultimately, I think the best we can do is to learn how to show up and and be respectful and not contribute to an already polarized world. 
Yep, definitely. And so on on the note, like we talk about being a mother, and I'm a mother now too, and it is a scary thing. So I like you, I grew up in a home like my dad had firearms and my dad was also a firefighter and my dad had great respect for the law. And, you know, I never like I personally never knew where the firearms were. Like I knew that they existed, but I never knew where they were. <clears throat> and like my my dad just like raised me to believe in the Second Amendment. That's how I was raised. But also with my parent hat on, I'm like, holy shit. Like I remember being hearing about Columbine and I actually interviewed a Columbine survivor, Will Beck. His testimony was heartbreaking you know, and what he experienced, it was, it was heartbreaking to hear about it. And I remember when I was younger and hearing about Columbine and all these school shootings that we've continuously heard about, like they're not coming to an end. So while I believe in the second amendment strongly, I also like, I am being pulled into different directions now as a parent where I'm like, how the, how the hell can we allow this to happen? Regardless of where you stand on the issue, right? What are your tips on how to talk to your children about school shootings. So I've had multiple um, episodes on this with a wonderful expert who used to work with um, the federal government. And we run through this every time. Unfortunately, there's a need for the reminder of how to educate kids. And what always sticks out to me is he says, again, like we were talking about with the body stuff, be honest at an age appropriate level. So with the younger kids, they will inevitably be doing these safety drills. I know my kids do at school. As kids get older, you know, and they have access, of course, to information not through their phones or whatever, then you can start to have the more serious conversations. Well, this is actually what we're doing it for, and this is why. And as a parent, you cannot go through life worrying about every little thing every day. Does that mean that I don't worry? No, I worry literally every day about this. But um, to just understand that this is the world and to speak, oh, here's another good thing that he said. He said, speak to your school administrators or your teachers and find out exactly what it is they're doing. Ask if there's um, bulletproof glass um, in the in the windows to the classrooms. Ask if they lock the doors during instruction time. Ask if they practice um, exit routes. And this is one other thing. It's a little bit morbid, but I'm going to say it because there's a parent who, who might need to pass this on to an older child. He said, one common mistake is to tell children to sit, stay, and remain in a group still. And while that may be the best option for younger, smaller children who are less mobile, for older kids, he does not suggest staying safe because it makes an easy target for these horrible, evil people. I know it's just, disgu- I know, I know. Getting Nikki. chills. I know. Like, Sunny, I'm getting chills because I know. when I spoke with Will Beck about his experience at Columbine, he said he and a group of friends of his were in a bathroom. They were hiding in the stall. And then they were like, we, we should go. We should go. We heard we heard something outside. We should go. They left. I, I like I have chills recalling this conversation. Like they, they so they left, and as soon as they left, the shooter came into the that bathroom. bathroom that they were in. The chill. And it's like thank God they had the sense. And these are high school kids. Yeah. That they had the sense to like move, leave that bathroom. I, I wouldn't have thought that. I no. it wouldn't have occurred to me. And and you know while this is a big heavy topic like again we we can't run from the things that scare us challenge us and i i hate that this is the reality of our world and i hate that this is something we have to think about but you know better to have that information than to not again we're coming back to radical age-appropriate honesty 
I wonder if you have any thoughts on this. I don't think there's any such thing as a parenting expert. I call I call bluff on every single person who labels himself. I mean, like, I believe there are real doctors, but like these people that are like, oh, I am the gentle parenting expert. I'm the, you, there are so many different ways to do parenting. So I'm like saying this as if I don't want people to be listening and be like, well, this is what I should do. Listen, it's what works for me and my kids. But like, I don't see how it can be wrong. I think about this a lot. Um, I had a pretty traumatic childhood, which I talk about very openly on, on my show. And um, I think in my in my journey to forgiving my parents for the things that happened when I was little and now being a mom myself, I've come to have a lot of empathy for parents, understanding that like every child is different. And when you're a parent of multiple children, you can see that very clearly that each one of your children is very different, right? And they require different parenting techniques. So far, my two boys require two totally different methods of like right? discipline. I have a lot more empathy for my own parents and it helped, definitely becoming a mom helped me forgive them or like come to understand that like we're all just doing our best with the tools that we have from the ways that we were raised from our own passed down generational trauma that hopefully we have the state of mind to work on and heal. But we're parenting from that place to a child who has their own set of needs that they didn't come with a manual. So we're still learning them. It's like we are all people on this road. And so how can anybody be a parenting expert? It's true. It's true. I feel like instinct is the most, has been for me the most important thing in parenting. It's been clear to me from like the very beginning that they are their own people in this world. I parent by instinct because I, I have a feeling for who they are and what I have felt to be right has usually has almost always been the right move. And it looks really different from people in my family or my friends. And that's okay. It's just, yeah. that's you just put your blinders on as a parent and you just do what works for you. I'm definitely grateful that there's more information about human psychology, about child psychology, so that we can make informed decisions about how, like what might be the best route for our kids. Um, and I definitely think that parents are becoming more open-minded to that. Where before, like, we didn't talk about it. Like, people didn't talk about right. it. You didn't talk about it. If your kid was having problems, you just didn't really talk about it. Right. Or you sent them straight to the therapist, you know, right. without, like, looking. I, I, I do believe in parent coaches. I believe that, like, parent coaches can be helpful where this is, like, a joint thing. Because I, I also think that there's a sense of community that is missing in today's world that we did used to have. Like, everybody, I remember growing up and being, like, everybody on the blocks, parents were, like, parenting all the kids. Like, yep, come to my house for dinner. Or, like, yep, I'm going to watch your kid. And, yep, I'm going to tell your kid that he can't do that or she can't do that, you know? And there was, like, more of a collective thing. That doesn't that doesn't happen so much um, in today's world. No, it doesn't. I'm, you're saying that, I'm laughing because, like, I probably step in to, like, do, like, a little parenting when I shouldn't. And not in a bad way, but I'm just thinking, my youngest daughter, she's in her little Daisies group, and there's a bunch of like uh, probably 20 some kids there and every meeting like different parents come in to cycle in and out to help with a meeting and I just stay there usually if I can. But when she misbehaves or anyone around her misbehaves, I'm like, hey, guys, stop. Someone is talking. We're going to be respectful. And so this mom one time was like, we love having you around Sunday because you're like not scared to yell at the kids. I was like, is that my reputation? I mean, like I will step in and be like, I would want someone to do that for my kid if they were speaking when they shouldn't or there are there are certain old school truths that are still applicable. Like you 
chew with your mouth closed. You get quiet when a adult is talking. You shake people's hand and look them in the eye. And like, sometimes I probably like do it when I shouldn't. But I, you know, for friends, kids, I'm always like, I, I do. I step in and I say, hey, guys, listen up. This is like, get your, get your hat on straight. We need to like be good here for a sec. This conversation is so good. But before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Let's talk about marriages, right? I think you covered on one of your podcasts um, episodes whether or not couples can cheat-proof their marriage. So how did that conversation go? This was so interesting. This interview was a a suggestion from a a follower on Instagram. And she said, you need to check this girl out. She is a, a marriage coach, but she coaches from her perspective of what she went through, which is her husband had an affair and she stayed. And she says, you know, that while what they went through was the worst thing, it has made them more of a stronger than ever, more of a um, committed and and communicative couple than ever. And I, I, I had to ask her, how this happened. Charity Craig is her name. Um, what what an affair looked like, what it looked like when her husband started to have an affair. So I could like throw some flags out to the ladies listening to like keep an eye on things. Um, and what she learned after staying with him. And basically she says, I know that what I did challenges the, f- you know, um, feminist narrative where we tell our daughters, if he messes up, you walk away. You're worth more than that. Your dignity is worth more than that. But it wasn't the case for her. It was more, and now it wasn't like her doing so to an embarrassing level and begging him. It looked like her having him move out. They had some time apart. And she talked about why she chose that and how they ended up getting better together. Now she coaches other people who are in a similar situation and they want that quote unquote happy ending again. And you know, this is a great example of like a narrative being challenged. I know that that wouldn't be the knee jerk reaction that a lot of women would have, but she's fine. They're fine. They're good. They're probably better than a lot of other married couples, you know, who are hiding some things. And I asked her, do you think you can cheat proof your marriage? And she's like, no, I mean, it's just like everything else we're talking about in the world. You cannot change. It's like your kids. You cannot change who your kids are. You cannot change what's going to happen in the world. You cannot change what other people will do. You can control your reaction and that's about it. Every marriage is so unique and it has their own ways of operating, its own rules, its own systems in place. Like this, the connection between two people is so unique. Like what they, what the traumas they've experienced, the the joys that they've experienced, you know, all these things. There are too many variables for anybody to really truly opine on 
what they would do or what they should do. You know, like I can say, oh yeah, in, in my world, I wouldn't tolerate that. I don't know unless I was in that situation. You don't really ever know until you're in that situation, right? And like you yourself, yes. like exactly like you said, you can't judge people either. I mean, like, yeah. And let's be honest, like everybody's marriage goes through hard times. And and the the worst narrative that we can put out there is that people's relationships are perfect. That's just not, that's not it. They're not perfect when you're not married. They're not perfect when you're married. When you have kids, that's additional complicating factors of keeping your sanity. So like, let's approach this from like, like changing the narrative. Like let's have compassion for if it's your friend who that happens to and they decide, hey, I'm going to like stick it out and work it out, you'd be supportive of her or him. And, you know, because there are so many different ways to do relationships. It was so interesting for that very reason, because it goes against like everything that I would have thought, you know? Well, in hearing this, hearing you say that, it's like, it reiterates something that I'm deeply passionate about. It's like coming home to yourself, like coming home to your deepest inner knowing, your sense of truth and your sense of who you are and what feels good for you you know, and how you interact with the people around you. Like that has everything to do with it. Take in people's opinions, take in the advice, take in the information and sit with it for a while. Like we have to get quiet. We hate to get quiet because we can take all this info in or this advice, but you have to process it. So why do you think people are still talking about like stay at home mom versus working mom? Like I'm just like, why, how is this still a topic of conversation? It's crazy. I mean, I think it's because... (laughs) For a lot of us, like there is a big shift that comes in our professional life once we have kids. And so it's a moment that a lot of women are confronted with, whether they decide to change their status from like working outside of the home to working inside or working, you know, not working at all. Like it's when you have kids, you kind of it's a question that you have to kind of face. And what I have learned being on both sides of it, I can say that they're equally hard. I can say that I do miss working full-time sometimes only the not the job but like the the reason to be outside of the house but I don't know I've created something here that I like even better which is being able to do the fun part of my job which was connecting with people and doing great interviews except I can do it from my house and it's that much better so like it is possible to find something that works even if it feels like it's going to be a big shift and I know women that have stayed at their full-time jobs and are very happy and women that have left and completely took the motherhood track. And they're also glad to be rid of that stress. It looks different for everybody. Well, you brought up the word feminist earlier. um, And I think there's a misconception that the, you know, obviously like equal rights and all of this. Right. But I think for me, feminism has more to do with women being able to choose what they want to do just having the choice right and i think the pendulum sort of swung very far in the opposite direction where like we are seeing more female ceos and girl bosses and all this stuff and that's amazing that's really great and like it really is amazing because before like women weren't even afforded the opportunity right so now the opportunities are there and then what you see happening a lot is that those opportunities are there but then women are facing the same amount of the home rearing responsibilities. And that's where you're finding, we're finding imbalances, right? And we're asking men to like step up if in, in relationships that are where both parents are working, where like the women are now saying, okay, well, I'm a working mom and you're a working dad. And we share this home with our children. Now, if we're both going to be equal earners, or even if not, both working equally, 
we both have to share the child rearing responsibilities and the home responsibilities. And some, again, it goes back to every relationship operating in its own dynamic and setting the tone for that. And then like making your own rules where, okay, both people have the choice. And you know, unfortunately, like there's not always a choice for some families. Like both families have to go out and hustle and it is so hard. Right. You know, and there are plenty of women who just who would do anything to be able to stay home with their kids. And then there's moms who like want to want to go out in the world. They're like, I can't, I can't just do this. I can't. I like it. It's like I remember feeling personally like when I had my kids, I was like, it's like bashing my head against the wall, like being at home. Like I felt like it was like Groundhog Day every day. Like you, I'm grateful that I've been able to create this like work life for myself where I get to like do this. Yeah. And yeah, I think that was important to acknowledge. Like, yes, I was able to step away from my job. Not everybody has that ability. My husband had a full-time job with benefits, things like that. I, I get that there's a level of privilege associated with that. And, you know, I, you can't ignore that part of it. But, you know, if there, I, I know plenty of women who wanted to step away and they had to make big changes in their yeah. budget and their life and they found a way yeah. to make it work or they, you know, so it, it just... And like we said about the marriages, it looks any way you want it to, but like you got to communicate with your partner about exactly what you said, what the expectations are. If you're going into this new dynamic and how that looks for the home tasks and make sure you're on the same page because it's like any of these changes are big shifts in a relationship and you want to make sure that you're like talking through it as much as you can. But listen, I have staying home with the kids is a lot harder in a lot of ways than I thought it would be. I used to love going to work. I would just sit there and just no one would bother me. You know, I mean, like people that had to work with me with that needed things. But I was like, this is better than like nursing a baby to sleep. I can just sit here. And you're just like, mommy, no mommy, 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 yes. mommy, 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 mommy. And like overstimulated. Like the weekends are here and I'm like, oh my God, the overstimulation is so real. You're so in the thick of it still. Personally, I feel like it's it's very nice to have an outlet. And one of my outlets is, you know, self-care. Like I'm, I love to work out and I love to take care. I love my skincare routine. I love what I'm like, I love beauty. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like I was, I grew up as a dancer. I love doing my hair and makeup. I love all of these things. And so you know, for a long time, I think I felt like, I, I don't know, I got the messaging that that was kind of shameful, you know? And so I don't know, like the role of the mother, and I think this is generational, like is to be the self-sacrificial person of the family and like that we shouldn't, and I'm here like, I want to get dressed up. I want to look good. I want to work out. Like I want to, I get Botox. I don't care, you know, like, and then there's like the narrative of like the all natural woman, and there's that juxtaposition and there's a pull to be both. Like there's a part of me that I'm like, I want to eat clean and I want to do all these things, you know, for my health. But I also want to do Botox. And I want to shoot my head up with toxins. Listen, girl, I'm right there with you. And like, I want to get my hair done. And yes. I, you know, like I'll probably want to cover up my grays when I get them. Like, yes, yes. And, and that's that. okay. Like there is no one way to do it. And I hate this. I hate that I feel like my generation at least was raised in that like narrative where you're either all in and you're like a true feminist and you don't care what men think. I care what my husband, I want to be hot for him. You know, like I care. Like I'm, and a lot of women do. And that doesn't make me care any less about the general progression of women in society. And it doesn't make me less intelligent that I shoot my head with Botox or that I highlight. It doesn't. And I'm like old enough to finally be like, I actually don't care. I use filler under my skeleton eyes because I have like a hollow, whatever. People can think what they want. I am very comfortable when I go to bed at night with who I am as a human. I am good with how I treat people. There is nothing that I regret in life right now that makes me feel 
like a bad person. And if if being a super, I always say my alter ego on the on the podcast is like superficial bitch. We go from talking about world affairs to talking about like when I visited this awesome injector and plastic surgeon in New York City. And guess what? At the end of the day, I'm still smart enough to hold a conversation about really intelligent things, even though I care about superficial bitch stuff. And I think the youth these days are like getting that more. And I think men, more importantly, are getting that too, that like it's not an all or nothing thing. And I'm grateful for that. But like em- embody that, like don't be embarrassed with from what you do or who you are. Jane Fonda had a reel that was like going around on Instagram and it was, she was just like, I want to look how I, how I feel. Is it? Mm-hmm. And she's like so unapologetic about it. I was like, I like that girl. And then there's another thing. Just this morning, I was talking with a girlfriend about Lauren Sanchez. Vogue just released an article about her. And it's like, you look at this woman and, you know, like you might make, have a preconceived judgment on her just simply just based on her appearance, which I am 100% guilty of. I was like, okay, I have an opinion about her, right? I don't even know the woman. I don't even know the woman. And I read this article and I'm like, holy shit, I didn't realize that she's an Emmy Award winning journalist and that she's a helicopter pilot and that she's involved with XYZ. And I'm like, shame on me. I was like, what? what? Like, and I'm that I'm a woman who like encourages women not to judge other women, right? And I'm here, like, I had to like self-assess and I'm like, hey, (laughs) why did you do that? Like, why did you do that? And now you, now, now, oh, now this is acceptable because, oh, now you think it's acceptable, Nikki, because she has all these like, like intellectual check marks. You know, and it just made me like self-reflect about like how I myself can be very judgmental. And I was like, oh, maybe don't do that. Yeah, I love it. Like that's that's the evolution. Like you were able to check yourself. Right. Let's be honest. We all like to you have that initial feeling about people or things. And I think that's okay. But like at the end of the day, like you wouldn't treat anyone differently if you met that person. As soon as you like did a little bit of a deep dive, you realized she's more than just the image that's put out there about her. And that's cool that you were able to be like, huh, yeah, you don't know the whole story until you do a little bit of digging. But how do we balance this with like raising girls that don't feel the need to fit into this AI society, right? Because like, yes, on one level, you and I, Sunny, are talking about like, it's okay to get filler. It's okay to get Botox. It's okay to do your hair. It's okay to like do these treatments on your body and work out and care about how you look. And then when you're raising a girl, you're like, okay, wait a second. Like body positivity. Yes, you are hitting like so many nails on that. I talk about this a lot on my platform too, this inability to like take things at face value once you become a parent in this world, especially to girls. So here's here's where I've landed. Again, not an expert. I will always struggle with how to explain to my daughters, listen, mommy changed the way she looked. It's a burden I will have to bear. There are worse problems in life. I think I'm just going to have to go back to if and when those questions come, the radical honesty of it all. What the truth is, honey, I was a fully formed adult before I stuck a needle in my face. I was a fully formed and confident and educated and happy in in with myself and happy in a yeah. relationship human before I this was not for anyone but me and it's it's a distinction that they probably won't be old enough to understand fully until they're old enough to understand it and I'm just going to have to count on the fact that you know I raised wise enough children that that explanation will work and there may come a time I've t- I've talked about this a lot lately like I'm really at a point in my personal journey where 
I'm like starting to wonder, do I just need to stop? Maybe I need to stop with the Botox. Like I only go every six months as is because I like movement in my face. But I thought I, I really stretched out my last appointment because I was like, this could be it for me. And then my eyelid did that thing where it like started to close up. And I was like, I can't see. I actually do have yeah, toasted on my eyebrow. I actually do need it now. Um, so I toy with it all the time. And maybe there will be a point where I'm like, you know what? This is me. I'm aging into the future as is. Um, and that'll be fine too. And I, I hope that that explanation will suffice. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is who people are. And what I have done has never come from a place of insecurity or a, a place of trying to please others. And I hope that I show up in front of my kids I, I, all the time, no makeup, in sweatpants. I mean, like 90% of the time that I'm not a polished person in front of them. There is not a lot of glam happening day to day in our house. And that's another thing too, is just showing up as I am, as I feel like it. And hopefully yeah. that gives them the permission to do the same as they age. I think a lot of it has to do also with like teaching them their sense of worth, you know, and really like teaching them as young as you can, like to look within, you know, and like I find that even when I'm disciplining my kids, we deify our parents. And so we think that they are all knowing, you know, especially when they're really, really little. So like even when it comes to things like disciplining my my boys, like I'm like, hey, you are still worthy. Like you are still loved. Personally, I have a conversation with my kids about, about God and, and all that stuff. But like trying to teach them an innate sense of self-worth and I'll share this. I've shared it before, but I think it has a lot to do with what we're talking about. Like I got my ears pulled back when I was 12 because I had ears that stuck out and I was 12 years old. And at the time I wanted that so bad because I was getting bullied. I was getting, you know, like people, kids were making fun of me and I was in middle school and it was horrible. And my parents made a decision like we're going to do this for her because like she is getting, I was becoming depressed, you know. And when I was an adult, I would got pissed off. I was like, what? I was like, what the hell? Like, why did my parents let me do that? Like, they should have had a different conversation with me. They should have had the conversation of like, you, you're beautiful the way you are. That's how I felt in my early 20s. Now I'm in my, my mid 30s. And I'm like, okay, I understand. It goes back to like me having empathy for my parents and like saying like, what were they going to do? Like, ultimately, Sunny, I learned the lesson of self-worth and self-value, you know, when I learned it, you know, and now I know that I do things not for anybody else. I do them for myself, you know, and I think that even on some level, my 12-year-old self was doing it for myself. Like I was doing it for myself in this yeah. like really roundabout way. I was. And I have no judgment for your parents or for you for doing that at, like at all. And and to understand anyone who's a parent understands you would give anything to ease even the smallest amount of pain your child feels. I don't care if it's a physical pain or an emotional or psychological pain. I would lay in front of a moving truck to yeah. say even the small, to make my kid feel even a tenth of a percentage better. So I empathize with your parents on that. I, I empathize with you as a young woman facing impossible beauty standards. And this is the point. This is, there's no winner. There's no right. I love that you said that. Yeah, there's not, you know, and and it your decision made, and your parents' decision made you who you are. And that's okay. The important part is you are a whole person and you can look back on that and understand why it was done. You owe, and this is what I want to tell my, my kids, especially my daughters, you owe no one any explanation. For That's who right. you are or how you are, as long as you're respectful, following the law, and not promoting hate. You owe nobody an explanation for who you are and why you are who you are. It took me 40 years to actually yeah. feel that when I say it. Yeah. I don't owe anybody an explanation. I'm a little bit weird. I'm a little bit nerdy. I'm a little bit obsessive, compulsive. Like I used to be, I, I don't fit in in certain social situations very well. And I used to be really hard on myself. Now I'm like, I, I don't owe anyone any explanation. And it's the most 
beautiful feeling to just be who you are and just in a true take it or leave it mindset. You know, Sunny, I think that's a great message for all of our listeners, not just for our kids, just for all of the people who are listening to us. Where can my listeners find you? Well, first of all, Nikki, thank you for hosting this amazing conversation. You're very talented and I love being able to connect with you now and I've been following you on Instagram as well. So it's great to get to know you a little bit more. Um, if you want to hear some of these conversations, they can just search for We Gotta Talk on their um, podcast platform of choice. I have a blog that I update very regularly too with a fun newsletter at wegotatalk.com. And I'm on Instagram at Sunny Abata, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. Sorry for the weird spelling. Blame my parents. <laughs> We're not apologizing. We're not sorry. You know what? Look at me apologizing. I love my weird name, which by the way, in the 80s and 90s, it was not cool to have a gender neutral name. I got made fun of my entire life. And everyone's like, meet I my daughter, you. Carly. Meet my daughter, Bob. I'm like, where were you guys 25 years ago when I was getting teased relentlessly for having a boy name? Anyway, oh my gosh. Right? Sunny, it's been great to talk with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Likewise. Thank you, Nikki. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The No. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The No with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.